Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, uh, what's it going to take? What's it going to take to turn the human narrative around? What kind of a a hero, a savior, a, a, a karmic ninja? What's that going to look like? What if we daydream? I like daydreaming because there's no rules. Say we could call up God or whoever could provide such a service and say, we need uh, 50 plane loads full of, and then insert what you answered that question with. Is it a hero? Is it a savior? What's the the archetype or or collage of archetypes that humanity is looking for now to bring us about, to square us up, to, to set the rudder, set the cells and set the rudder for humanity to go in a direction that nurtures us and supports us? If we could call God and and queue up a bunch of plane loads full of whatever the hell it is, what would that be? What do we what do we need in our psyche individually and collectively? I'm super stoked about tonight's show. The topic tonight is leaving trauma behind to embrace life. And our guest tonight is Marty Whitke. We're going to bring him on in just a minute. But I want to I want to noodle this idea of what are we looking for? What's the collective What's the collective perhaps heart? the heart of humanity. If they had a menu, the heart of humanity, the collective heart, if we had a menu of archetypes, we need bravery or courage or we need, you know, whatever. I I don't want to put thoughts in your head, but I want to get thoughts in your head, not my thoughts, your thoughts. My... uh, my father was in World War II in the Pacific campaign, and I've looked at that that narrative or or storyline, and holy crap! I mean, I'm for, first of all, I'm amazed he lived through it. He was a sergeant, and over a thousand men went through his command, and more than 900 went home in body bags. So the fact that my dad even existed to be my father decades later, he had such torment, such anguish in his psyche. He had five heart attacks. He he carried a lot of anguish in his psyche. My dad had courage. He had tenacity. He had resolve. 
he kind of got clobbered upside the head by a karmic freight train that laid him out that I don't think he ever recovered from in his life. And if I could go back and be his youngest boy again, I would hug him every day. But that opportunity has passed. So what is your archetypes? What archetypes would help you in this present moment? In what archetypes could you awaken in your psyche to support you in your next chapters of life? Do any come to mind? What if those archetypes have been shut down by trauma? There's low-grade trauma where you're functional and you're, you go to work and you don't really do anything outside of a routine that you've, you find comfort in. And, and when you've been through the ringer, sometimes a mundane life is an accomplishment. But what if you could unravel yourself even deeper still? It's like you've come up for air from the from underwater. You come up for air and now you're breathing. And it's like I'm breathing, I'm breathing, I'm breathing. I, I'm going to stay right here because I'm breathing. For so long I haven't been able to breathe. But what does your heart want for your life? I think we should get to it because our guest tonight has such a a wonderful history of experience working in exactly this realm. Let's get to it. Again, the topic tonight is leaving trauma behind to embrace life. And our guest is Marty Wetke. During the... uh, Marty's going to discuss how neurofeedback therapy is healing so many things, including a variety of mental health challenges. Marty is a pioneer in the field of neurotherapy, otherwise known as neurofeedback, and was the first to utilize neurofeedback as an inpatient treatment method for drug addiction, anxiety disorders, depression, and PTSD. With over 40 years' experience, Marty shaped the neurofeedback community worldwide and has trained many of the neurofeedback practitioners of today. Marty is also an author and in 2019 published The Brain Sutras, Keys to Revealed Consciousness. That sounds excellent. Together with his life and business partner, Dr. Stella Woodkey, Marty continues to have far-reaching and positive impact on the health and lives of so many, especially those who are leaving trauma behind to embrace life. Join me in welcoming Marty to the show. Marty, it's so nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you so much, Les. That was a beautiful uh, intro, very thought-provoking, very nice. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, uh, 
Well, I, I defer to your experience. I mean, how, I can imagine people come into your clinic and they think their problem is X, and they also have Y and Z and W and Q. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, if if I'm a if I'm a listener here, can even though I feel normal and quote functional, can I still have uh, tra- uh, trauma as? Uh, uh, impedance or hindrance to my potential? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's several things that happen with trauma. Um, uh, one, it, it gets transformed into fear, anxiety, um, different stress responses. Um, there's a book, a wonderful book, anybody who's ever experienced trauma or is dealing with the repercussions should read it's called um oh my gosh by Bessel van der Kolk it's called the body keeps the score which is you know you can't say it any more accurately than that any everything that's happened to us from uh, birth on and even uh, in utero and then now there's evidence to show that we uh, carry on generational trauma in our genetics but everything that happens is uh, affects each and every cell of the body, and therefore we say the body keeps the score. So the body's always keeping the score, whether we know it or not. And sometimes it'll manifest as uh, various emotional problems, uh, cognitive issues, or downright uh, physical problems, cardiac disease, and so on, and other other physical issues. So you know, some of us and even different cultures have different ways of dealing with trauma. Some just try to suck it up and avoid it, pretend it's not there. But the the general theme now is to start looking at it and paying attention to what it's doing to us personally and collectively, and then to uh, address that. You know, first of all, acknowledge it, identify it, and then address it. And right now, uh, this this uh, you know, the end of May 2023, we're dealing with the um, sort of the aftershocks of a worldwide pandemic, and the aftershock is also uh, pulling trauma along with it. Like trauma is is riding the wave because. Uh, so many of us went through, first of all, social isolation. The main thing that we need when we're dealing with trauma is um, social connections. Well, you know, many of us uh, had to get get uh, isolate, but also it created a looming threat that um, there's something in the background, there's something we can't see, there's something there that is literally threatening our lives, and that triggers uh, major survival responses. You know, everybody's heard of the fight or flight or freeze response, and that that has been collectively triggered in a large portion of the population on the planet. And um, and I, I see it every day. Uh, and like I said, here we are, May 2023, and we're still seeing or experiencing the shockwaves. Um, but you know that that will. Uh, as people start recognizing that even governments are paying attention. The suicide rate among uh, young teenagers has 
skyrocketed, and we believe that's largely due to the social issues. So, um, so our goal is to, uh, you know, uh, give people the tools, uh, get their brains to shift out of these uh, stress response modes, and find a different way of being in this world uh, other than than fear and anxiety and so on. So, so um, Pete, yeah, go ahead, Les. I'm sorry. Well, if uh, I mean, I, I like to break things down f- so we can understand it in not so obvious mm-hmm. ways. I mean, f- for my father to be a a young kid and handed a rifle and <clears throat> and thrown into war, that that's a pretty obvious traumatic thing. And then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. perhaps there's soft trauma where it's not uh, so identifiable. Like um, 2020 kind of put us all in our heads. But what, mm. what if you what if you work for a a boss that flies off the handle? Or what I'm getting at here is I love the notion of the body keeps the score. If if we have 10 years of our life where we work in an extremely stressful work environment, can we take on trauma from that? And, and Oh, absolutely. And then and from, how, do, how do we recognize that we have it within our psyche even though we've left that job? Um, we can we can look for you know the, the the symptoms obvious symptoms like anxiety, irritability, um, short fuse, temper, anger issues, and then of course, as in the body keeps the score, there's usually physical problems that start popping up. Everything from indigestion to um, high blood pressure to blood sugar issues, uh, uh, and, and one of the ones we're expert in uh, remedying is sleep issues. I, mean, I think about 90% of the clients who come to us have uh, some kind of a sleep problem going on. And once sleep is affected by that stress, then you, you get into a, a vicious cycle because for our bodies and minds to heal, we have to have good night's sleep. So usually, you, you know, you can pinpoint any one of those areas and then if you know if, if you notice it's chronic or it, or acute um then it's likely due to the stress right well the um how do these symptoms like uh, w- when we think about the human psyche and and planet earth um there's the idea of a, I like the the metaphor of a bicycle. So so we've been scarred. We maybe were born into an abusive household. Life was tough. Life was really tough. Maybe homeless, run away from home, being abused. There's there's getting ourselves fixed, which would be like metaphorically fixing the bicycle, and then mm. and then. It, when we come into our wholeness, so to speak, we can actually ride the bicycle and the bicycle can take us to the beach. It can take us to a <laughs> art class. It can take, and, and the idea of shifting from healing to shifting into 
creative expression, passion. Um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, um, is there a metric to look for as far as um, how much of our consciousness is kind of like offline and we're not learning new things, we're not growing ourselves, we're not evolving ourselves? Because we can look at anxiety and stress and sleep disorders and those kind of collapse our ability to show up for ourselves, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think I think one of, uh, another thing you can you can add to all this is uh, it, it's called ACEs. It's a new uh, testing that's come out. ACE. It's an acronym for Adverse Childhood Childhood Experiences that occurred between the age of zero and 17. And, you know, they, they revolve around three basic categories. Number one is abuse, physical, emotional, or sexual, uh, whether uh, one was the witness of it or, the, or was the victim of it. Neglect, which is even uh, as severe as abuse, uh, physical uh, neglect, emotional neglect. Um, and then household dysfunction, if the household of the child, if there was mental illness, um, an incarcerated relative, mother was uh, treated violently or abused, if there was substance abuse or divorce. Uh, the, what, it's a test. It's basically 10 items. And the higher the score, in other words, the, the more um, uh, uh, of those a person reported in their, in their uh, childhood, 0 to 17 years old, the more problems they're going to have uh, later on um, in that wide range. A person with four or more of those ACEs is, is uh, 2.4 times more likely to have a stroke, 1.9 times more likely to have cancer, 12 times more likely to attempt suicide, and seven times more likely to be an alcoholic. And I treated... Um, a, a, a parolee population uh, because the California government was trying to figure out how to reduce the recidivism rate. And those guys didn't have four. They, they usually had more like nine or ten of the ACEs. So these things add up. And, and why is it that some people, as you, you sort of alluded to, uh, make it through these, these traumas? And there's a few different factors, but one of them is 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 a social network, a a uh, friend, a family member, or somebody who serves as a guidepost for uh, persons who've been through this. There's a new study being done now with prisoners, and they're uh, giving the prisoners dogs to train to be rescue dogs, and it's, the recidivism rate is dropping dramatically with the guys who are going through the program because they're developing empathy, they're developing compassion. It's triggering their, um, you know, their oxytocin, which is the bonding, the love chemical that a mother uh, gets uh, uh, saturated with when she has a baby. So, so the ones who make it through are the ones who have some kind of support, something that is, um, you know, allowing them to find their own sense of self-worth and then to heal all this, all these uh, patterns, and the pat, you know, the, these patterns become 
part of the brain networks, just like when you drive past the cow pasture, you can tell where all those cows have been walking. It's a worn-down rut. Well, the brain is the same way. If we've been stressed and if we've had a major emotional trauma, uh, those parts of the brain get overworked. So getting out of those ruts, is, that's part of what we have to do. We, you know, Our job is to teach the brain how to look at things differently. So that's a long answer to a short question. Left. No, that's great. No, that's very nice. Well, I, I like the idea of bringing the brain into it now and the metaphor of um, pass. You know, uh, you use the cows and the, the path through the field. Um, when, when we bring in the uh, technology of neurofeedback, um, can like if a patient came in and you had no history, I mean, the person just walked in the room and you hooked them up and, and you looked at their neural patterns, could you make a, a estimation of that, that ACE scale from, from one to yeah. 10? Could, could you discern? Yeah, you, can, you can see um, parts of the brain. For instance, the limbic system. The limbic system is the primitive emotional brain, and what you'll usually see with those guys is um, is a is a is a dysregulation there. Um, we com- we compare um, everybody's brain to a database of quote unquote normal brains, and we can see where certain parts of the brain fall way outside of those ranges. The other area is the amygdala. The amygdala is part of the brain that protects us. It, if we've been traumatized. The amygdala remembers that, and it says, don't go near that person, place, or thing again for the rest of your life. That's why so many of us feel uncomfortable around in certain situations, and we don't know why. It's because the amygdala is sort of the guard at the at the guard booth, and it's, it's, um, paying, it's always scanning. If anybody, any of your listeners feels like they're hypervigilant, always watching out, you know, sleep with one eye open, and so on, that's the amygdala keeping uh, this this uh, uh, a protection, uh, you know, this protective uh, uh, thing going. But the brain is is really, it, it it you know, the brain is not some separate entity. Our our minds, our emotions, and our brains are are one thing. So when we measure that, we can we can see all of this quite clearly. Uh, and yes, sometimes we can say, well, you have a Ten on the ACE score, and it sure shows up in your brain because you, you can you can truly see post traumatic stress disorder in the EEG. And, but that's just the beginning because the brain, you know, it's, it was it was not discovered but identified a couple of decades ago. This notion of neuroplasticity, so neuroplasticity, a combination of two words: neuro for brain and nervous system, and plasticity for this, uh, this it, the moldable nature, the plasticity. So, you know, and this is a function uh, that's going on all the time. Where, where we habitually go with our thoughts um, shapes, literally shapes our brain, shapes those networks, shapes those ruts through the pasture. And, it, it, you know, it can be detrimental, but on the other hand, it can be, a, it is a obviously a healing a power that we have. Every one of us has this. We can reshape, we can change those networks in the brain. 
um, and that and that's you know that's what healing really is an integration. You know, you, your talk uh, in the beginning was uh, excellent. I love what you were saying about archetypes, and certainly Joseph Campbell, you know, in some of his books, um, you know, he says there's not going to be a Messiah a hero that's going to come down and, and save us. Right. It's, it's always right. it's always in you. In his book, The Power of Myth, the hero's journey. You know, it's 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 within each one of us. Quit looking outside of you for your healing and for the nice. planet's healing. You know, like Gandhi said, uh, be the, be, be the, you know, be the healing you're looking for. So, um, but it's all in the brain. We can map all this now. We can see very clearly the brains of advanced meditators, for instance, are very different from the brains of uh, people with criminal behavior or people who have been traumatized. So can we, you know, it sounds kind of silly, but can we train the brains that aren't working quite right to be like the brains that meditate. Yes, that's what we do. That's what I've been doing for 40 years, and um, and that's that's the secret. You know, that's where you, where you really uh, get get a ch- the big change to occur, where people begin to really wake up and see that they truly have control over their lives if they just learn how to how to direct their thinking, not control their thinking, but simply direct their thinking in a different way. Nice. So, so meditation then, um, what you're saying is uh, a powerful vehicle of change as far as the neuroplasticity and, and the, the patterning of your brain? Absolutely. Meditation is self-directed neuroplasticity. Um, you know, there's many, many, many different styles of meditation, but um, what I learned 40-something years ago and what I teach is just very basic uh, breath awareness meditation. You know, there's mindfulness, there's mantra meditation. Um, there's all different types out there, but, um, you know, I, I, I recommend to all of our patients and always have, when I worked in the psychiatric hospital, we had the entire population of the hospital uh, come into an auditorium once a day, and I guided them 30-minute meditation. And it has a, it begins to change the way the brain processes information the rest of the the rest of our waking hours. And it's quite clear, you know, we, when we look at um, the the brain waves, the EEGs of meditators and advanced meditators, they are it's quite different. It's not not superhuman, maybe, but certainly very different. There was a study done with a uh, some of the Dalai Lama's more advanced uh, met Tibetan meditators and their, their brain, you know, they are, you know, the way that we can uh, sort of translate the changes in the brain, the, the parts of the brain devoted to compassion were huge, <laughs> big pieces of real estate compared to the quote unquote normal brain, how much the normal brain devotes to such things. Um, also, they, there is markers uh, that show that they are more present. In other words, more in the moment, less involved with dragging the past around and less worried about the future, always very present in the moment, aware literally their brains are more awake. But that's not just for Tibetan meditators. All of us can do that. We just have to be patient. You know, I, I, how many times have you heard, oh, I can't meditate, my mind won't shut up. Well, meditation is a practice. It takes time. It's you're training neural pathways, you're taking advantage of neuroplasticity, and you're directing it 
10, 15, 20 minutes every day, and sooner or later, the results will start to come, and it can be quite profound for some people. Well, so the the patterning that the trauma put into place, um, the the in, intense neural patterning that perhaps um, a soldier would have in, in war over months and years, meditation can um, dissipate or or cleanse that dense patterning of survival? Sure, ab- absolutely. It, it, take, it'll, it would take some guidance because what, what you run into, the more severe the trauma, you know, as soon as the, uh, you know, former veterans or, or servicemen, you know, as soon as they close their eyes and try to quiet and calm, well, guess what? All of the memories start popping up. Right. So we have to use other other methods in the beginning to um, get around that and to begin to quiet that whole process. I mean, you know, we you see it every day in in the, in, in the United States. These guys come back from military service, and they may have been in, you know, really a, a, a bad uh, situations. And they come home, and here they are, safe and sound. But see, their brains don't know that, right? Right. Yeah. The, the, the amount of pro and suicide rate among these guys, you know, it's just out, it's out, outrageous, and many of them, of course, uh, resort to alcohol or drugs. You know, they they try to self medicate it away. So. It just doesn't go away. It, it, the brain has to be shifted out of those patterns, otherwise the result is, you know, uh, uh, quite severe. But with meditation, with uh, an understanding, and with the appropriate guidance, a good meditation teacher, uh, you know, the appropriate instruction, anybody can can get clear of that. Uh, may take time; doesn't happen overnight. But um, but uh, I've seen it happen many, many, many times. Nice. So the the anguish, the the fear, the survival mechanism that is um Im- embedded in the in the psyche of people that have gone through traumatic experiences, um that repetitive brain patterning that got seared into their consciousness, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. Through through the vehicle of meditation, you're, you're walking them out of the the storm. You're walking them out of the repetitive pattern, and and like you said, it's not going to be a you know a, a snap of the fingers and you're done. There's some processing of of what comes up, and and the memory and um, how, how does uh, You've worked with people for so many decades. Uh, th- there can be a. I'm just trying to imagine a process where you're 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 going through it slowly, and and you're feeling a, a lot of the pain. Is there a, a a technique where you can heal the pain without having it come up as a raw experience, or 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 do you yeah, have to yeah. connect? No, you don't have to have flashbacks, and you know we call it re-traumatized. We we 
we're very much against that. We don't want anybody to sit there and re-traumatize themselves by remembering uh, traumatic experiences. Because of the, the, the process that we have people go through, uh, brainwave training, the brain is taught to get into a very clear, quiet, relaxed, safe mode. So that, and what, to translate that, that means the limbic system, the fight or flight part of the brain goes into the background. It's, it, it is no longer being triggered. So you, you train that first. You train the autonomic nervous system and the limbic system to calm and quiet. And then the memories can come. And they're not going to have the same visceral effect that they had. And it, it's right. sort of, a, for lack of a better, it neutralizes. And that's the whole, you know, that's the whole point. It's like a, a technique we call systematic desensitization. So over time, a person faces, you know, all the demons, and they just don't bother them anymore. They find that their brain is not reacting or responding in the way it used to. So it's not re-traumatizing. It's not, you know, causing these major flashbacks. Just simply um, a re reframing the incidences. Well, it sounds like uh, you're creating a, a garden or a haven uh, within your own psyche. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, if 100% of your day was traumatic and then the, the, the source of trauma is removed, you don't, you don't know anything of... of the the stillness, the peace, the calmness of meditation. I mean, it exactly. hasn't been in it hasn't been in your genre. So so you're literally building a um, a haven or a, a garden or a and and it, it's more your essence than it's uh, something outside of you. It, it's more like you're connecting with a deeper sense of self. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, yes. That's exactly exactly what's happening. You know, the eleventh step of the um, of the twelve steps of various anonymous programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, Narcotics. You know, the eleventh step. What does it say? It says, through prayer and meditation, I will achieve conscious contact with my higher power, and eventually, everyone who uh, follows those that path finds that that higher power is within them, not outside of them. And it's a still stillness, a silence, like you say, a haven within them. And so what is it? The 11th says through prayer and meditation. Can't be any more clear than that. Right, right, right. That's how you you find that place within, sure. Well, um, I don't know if it was when we were talking before the show started, but – kind of like everyday trauma where the collective um, in the last couple of years, we collectively experienced a trauma. And mm-hmm. and what I'm getting at here is if I'm a listener to the show and I'm listening to this and I think to myself, well, yeah, you know, I don't have much of a problem with trauma because I can do everything I want to do during my day. Um, it probably serve us individually to uh, I I don't know if I want to say assume we have trauma but maybe assume we have trauma and if you don't have a meditation practice 
that's something that's a tool that could help you resolve trauma that you're not aware of in your psyche? Yes, yes, most definitely. And, you know, I, I always recommend people get on the Internet and look up ACEs. Again, it's A-C-E-S, Adverse Childhood Experience. Look it up, take the test. It only takes about three minutes and see if, if you're at risk because the, the evidence is there. The research has been done for decades now about this. And if you, if you get a, a, I think one in eight uh, people who take the test um, are going to have one, are going to have uh, uh, several ACE, usually four or more ACE uh, issues. And then if you read about, oh, what, you know, what is the consequence of that? Then it gets a little scary, and then it's, it sort of wakes us up. It's like, ooh, I need to do something about this. And maybe it becomes motivation to meditate or right. start exercising or eat better. I don't know. We we do recommend all those things, too, by the way. We don't just treat the brain. We treat the whole being. So, um, you know, take the ACEs test and see if you, you, you're at risk. That's a, that's a good thing for your listeners to try. Well, and I like what you said about Joseph Campbell that said, um, um, I don't remember the exact words, but the, who we're looking for is ourselves. I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's us. It's the, it's us. It's the human populace yep. that it's, will. It's the holy, it's the, it's the holy grail. You know, all the searchers went out looking for the grail went to the ends of the earth, and then they finally found it when they came back home. Of course, that symbolized when we come back to our own consciousness. And there it is. There's this divine chalice that was within us the whole time. Right. And and that chalice is, I think, what we're looking for now in our current narrative. Yeah. And that chalice yeah. is grounded out in the background noise of the collective, uh, you know, saber rattling, so to speak, as people have <laughs> yeah, a tug of yeah. war for the collective narrative. It's really yeah. what we're looking for is to heal our own archetypes, to yeah. to heal our own trauma, and to get on that bicycle and figure out That's what it. what gets our passion lit up and and engage life and make choices yeah. and take risks and challenges. Risks yeah. and challenges are tough if you don't have that haven, that that um, place of rest inside of you, and you've always been in the d- defensive mode. I think it's healing our own psyche is what we're really looking to, to have happen to to help us fabricate the future that would serve us. Yeah, I think I think that's the key. Yeah, you said it. Well, now. Um, you're you're located in California, right? And and you have a yeah, center central, there. Central Coast is um, Santa Barbara, about oh ninety minute drive north of LA, south of San Francisco. It's a be- beautiful area. So if I'm a listener and uh, uh, I want to learn about this center that you have, can you just Describe to us the type of client that would be um, appropriate for your center and, and what that would look like. Yeah, um, we we cover a broad variety now. I used to specialize, uh, as you mentioned earlier, on addiction, 
And um, even autism, I developed a whole treatment method for autism and brain injury. But now we get um, we get people who just you know have uh, uh, various issues, uh, various physical challenges, emotional challenges. We get uh, people who just want to you know executives who want to improve their performance. They know that their minds are a little bit distracted or could work better. Um, so we, we get a, a, a broad range, uh, you know, not just severely traumatized, although I do, um, I do still treat that, but people, people now are coming in just because they recognize that, uh, you know, this, this neurofeedback is gaining traction. It's, it's sort of a, um, you know, a brain exercise and it works doesn't work overnight, but it, it does work. And the, for instance, the, the military is using it now at two bases in Florida for PTSD and head injury. Many, many athletes are using it now for the peak performance part of it. The uh, Italian soccer team had an entire building devoted to brain training, and they, of course, went out and won the cup that year so that catapulted the popularity in the sports field golfers are using it so it really you know anything any anything that has to do with with brain function um really we can improve on with this technology uh it's becoming becoming quite well known worldwide now and i think it's only going to get bigger and bigger so we'll see so so what's uh, the name of your center and do you have a web page yeah, we have a website. The name is um, in uh, Watke. My last name, Watke Infinite Potential Institute, is the name of the center. Uh, the website is, is the last name Watke W U G T K E, and then the initials I P I dot com Watke I P I dot com. And you know, we're on all the social media, Facebook and Instagram. There's uh, they're getting ready to put up. Uh, various videos i've done a lot of tv interviews and um magazine uh, uh stories and so on so they're all on the on the website if people uh, want to get overloaded with information go to the website there's just a ton of stuff on there well very nice i know marty you got up pretty early today and and uh it's getting late in the day for you i want to thank you for taking the time for being on our mm-hmm. show tonight i've really enjoyed this episode Thank you so much, Les. I really appreciate you having me on. We've been talking with Marty Wetke, and the topic tonight has been leaving trauma behind to embrace life. To embrace life. To, uh, you know, it, it's really... It's ourselves. I mean, what we're looking for is, I don't think, I really don't get the impression that saviors want to save us in the sense that we sit on our uh, derrieres and the savior does all the heavy lifting. I think it's, it's, it's there for us to choose to want to with enough passion and purpose to actually show up for ourselves. You know, if, if, (laughs) 
it, it's through the transformation of consciousness that anything can be sustained. In other words, I mean, I'm just daydreaming this up. If if there was a imaginary village of a hundred people and none of them had any work ethic and none of them were motivated and none of them wanted to do anything, there's no savior that could come in and wave a wand and make a, a village of any kind and then turn around and leave and have it sustainable. In other words, there was a... I worked in TV for decades, and I remember particular episodes. There was one episode, I think it was PBS, where 10 people won the lottery. They won immense amounts of money, 10 people. And within years, 9 out of the 10 went back to being broke, except they lost all their relationships. Everything became about money. Well, you're only going to, you won $10 million and you're only going to give me $10,000? You suck. And so they fell out of grace with their family and their friends and they were broke because they could not embody the change. Saviors can show up and zap our asses all day long with love and compassion and benevolence. But if we can't embody the new dynamic, we can't sustain it. So it doesn't matter who shows up as the hero or the savior. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if we can't sustain it. And how do we sustain it? We embody it. We come into resonance with it. And that change, that transformation, that transformation is is within us. It doesn't matter if the glowing orb comes down from the heavens and waves a wand and turns the slums into palaces. That doesn't matter at all because whether we can sustain the new dynamic or not is 100% an inside job. It's 100% an inside job, and that's where our consciousness comes in. That's where our karma comes in. That's where our relationship with our emotions comes in. That's where our relationship with pain comes in. To heal that. To heal that is to fix the bicycle. Healing is a very important thing to fix the bicycle, but we can also learn to ride the bicycle. And the bicycle metaphorically opens up new dimensions, new trajectories, new dynamics, new narratives that produce new outcomes, new results, new dynamics, new humans, new earth. It's an inside job. What humanity is seeking is the transformation of ourselves. And what a what a brilliantly chaotic classroom. <laughs> but clean up planet Earth. I mean, if you look at the background noise, the chaos 
of the collective consciousness and mainstream media that's such a noisy environment. And somewhere in that chaos is the opportunity for us to evolve ourselves. And that always comes from within us. Our, our heart and our soul has wisdom. Our heart and our soul know what dynamics we're searching for. The, the ego is the one that gets out in the weeds and goes, WTF is this. What are we doing? This is this is the clown show because we're looking outside. And and our heart and our soul have our heart and our soul is is a real uh, really a curious lot because technically they live in a non-linear space. Our heart and our soul knows about next week and next month. Our heart and our soul knows exactly what would serve us individually. But a lot of times, our heart and our soul doesn't have any space. They don't have any space in our moment-to-moment consciousness as we go throughout our day. (laughs) I remember when my heart said, write a book. And my ego said, who the hell said that? And it, I argued with my heart for about six years, and then I wrote a book. And now I write all the time. I love to write, but my ego didn't know that. My ego wouldn't have chosen that. My ego didn't have that on the things I would like to try. My ego was clueless. My ego had no clue of the joy, of the challenges, of the reward of writing a book. So we want a new narrative. We want a new life dynamic. We want a new earth. We want something that nurtures us and supports us collectively that's that's just and, and... balanced and and whole in in a in a unified way I, the the uh, the heart of humanity is metaphorically it's one heart but if none of us give our heart and our soul consciousness that quietness between our thoughts. That canvas of silence creates space for that inspiration, creates space for new ideas to come from our heart and our soul. An undisciplined ego will gladly consume 100% of your thoughts throughout your day. And if your heart and your soul manage to squeak in a sentence or two, it'll gladly flush it out and go back to the, the ego narrative. 
We know what ego overdose looks like. (laughs) We know what humanity can look like when we OD on our egos. How about we, we stand down our egos and we create a space for our heart. We create a space for our soul. What if we do that individually? Would that shift the collective? Darn tootin' it would. You know it would. But in, until we until we make it a priority, a preference, a choice, an intention, and follow it up with our attention, and then we anchor it with action, it just won't... We have to embody it to own it. We have to embody it. No glowing orb or deity of any sort will strong arm our free will. We're given fierce freedom here. We we built a nuclear arsenal that could have ended life on the planet, and no god or deity stopped us from that. We're given fierce free will. Whether it's going to happen or not for our future is up to only us. You need you need flesh and bones. We're here for the human experience. Your human body is your ticket. Your human body is your ticket. That's something the deities don't have. They're not in the human form, and we're here for the human experience. They'll guide us, but it's up to us. They'll they'll show us love. And if we can heal our relationship with that love, we can be a conduit of that divine love. And that's a very powerful place to live your life from. If God's not going to come down here and save our asses, you know, easily a billion prayers have been prayed to pick your God. God, can we end the suffering on the planet? A billion prayers over the centuries. Easily. That's easily the case. A billion prayers. And 0.0 glowing orbs have descended from the heavens. God's not going to save our asses. Not in a strong arm, reach over your shoulder kind of way. But God has this this infinite well of love. Well, you poke that with a stick long enough. You stir that pot. You heal your relationship with love. When you learn how to love without condition or motive... If life is a mirror to who we are and we turn ourselves into unconditional love, well, I'm no sproctologist. That sounds like heaven to me. If what I put out, I get back, and I put out unconditional love and I get unconditional love back. If that ain't heaven, I'm, you know, I'm, um, I'm telling you, Love is a, (laughs) 
Yeah, love is uh, hmm. Go to put words to it, and uh, you have to kind of default to poetry because love with a capital L is is beyond the ability of the linear thinking mind to describe with any kind of accuracy. As you go through your day, figure out, wow, God, I love this. Is it the smell of the coffee in the morning? Or looking at the tail of a puppy wagging its ass off? Or the sunrise or maybe the flowers at the store? Or listening to a little kid ask a a question no adult would ever have thought of? What an exciting time to be alive. What an exciting time to be alive. Hey, I want to thank you, the listener. You are why we do this. It's it's I've I've had a fantastic many, many years. I think we're coming up on thirteen here pretty soon. And uh, you're why we do it. I don't need to hear myself talk, but if if there's something we can talk about that can help you, I'm all about that. And I want to thank you for showing up for yourself. Here you are at the end of the episode and you've showed up for yourself. Bravo to you. Always a pleasure. Until next time. I'm your host, Les Jensen. You've been listening to a new human living broadcast. If you're a spiritual seeker, you're going to eventually bump up against your relationship with God, especially if you grew up in some of the more classic Western religions. Forgiven Sinner, God's Last Savior, is a spiritual book written for spiritual seekers to help them heal their relationship with God and more fully embody their own life purpose. Forgiven Sinner, God's Last Savior. Get your copy. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Thanks for listening. Until next time.